Hello and welcome to episode 375 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I usually co-host this podcast every week with my partner in crime, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher series, and her latest book is The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. But I am flying solo for the next few weeks because Alison is taking a much-needed summer break. It's school holidays, and as you know, that can be quite demanding on a parent, but you can still expect all your favourite segments like the word of the week, of course, our writer in residence and also our writing tips and advice. First off, I'd just like to give a big shout out to someone who calls herself Jenna Pretzel, who left us a review. Now, Jenna Pretzel says, fantastic podcast, such a fantastic podcast for writers. Every episode, I learn something useful in regards to writing practices, things to consider when planning and writing a book, and also what to expect from the publishing industry. I get more out of these podcasts than I do my creative writing classes at uni. Well, thank you, Jenna Pretzel. That's awesome. And I really appreciate you taking the time to give us that feedback because, you know, sometimes it can be difficult sitting here and uh, recording these episodes and not really knowing what's going on out there in people's heads and what they think about um, with regards to this podcast. So thank you, Jenna. And if any other listeners have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast app is, we'd be really grateful because it helps us in the rankings, helps other people find us. But importantly, welcome to 2021. Oh my goodness, can you believe it's the new year, 2021? It sounds so futuristic and here we are, you know, yet here we are. Uh, I have been, well, busy in quote marks in lockdown because I am in the northern beaches of Sydney and uh, we've been going through uh, a period where we've had uh, advice to stay at home. I have been busying myself, getting creative, throwing myself into, well, a bit of decluttering, um, but also some creative projects, which is, which has kind of been good, actually. So didn't really have the Christmas and New Year that I anticipated, had to cancel a bunch of things, but that's okay. Um, also had some nice times just staying at home and regrouping. So I quite liked it. Um, I think we're all definitely looking forward to the new opportunities a new year presents. So I'm a big believer in setting goals. And although I do also tend to set them throughout the year rather than just at the beginning, um, uh, this is kind of an ideal time to do it. Not so much news resolutions, but just some goals, some visioning, that kind of thing. I hope that you've managed to take some time to yourself over the past few weeks. And of course, I hope you're managing to do some writing. Now, because Alison's not here, you won't hear our usual discussion about cooking or gardening or cleaning or about our beautiful pets. Not it's 100% writing. Okay, look, just one cute pet story. I have to say, because I have been in lockdown, I have been watching, it's like become this strange little ritual for me to watch, uh, I call it the Gladys show. That's our premiere, Gladys Berejiklian, and she uh, does an 11am briefing every day. And I sit there 
with my cat Rex (laughs) snuggling. And it seems to be the only time because he's a very aloof, independent cat who likes to do his own thing and find the furthest place in the house away from everyone else. But he seems to love the Gladys show too. So I love, I'm, I hang out for the Gladys show every morning and Rex and I sit there, he sits there in my arms and he cuddles and we watch the Gladys show together, which I think is adorable, but you know, I just had to share that. Anyway, um, let's get back to business. Our writing tip this week comes from a post on the Australian Writers Centre blog. And because I love goals and because it's the beginning of a new year, the post is five positive goals to kickstart your writing in 2021. I think that's a really good way to start this year's pod, um, episodes. So these are goals that you can set for yourself this year and you can just you know, you can choose one of them or all five if you're really keen or an overachiever. One of the most important ones, I think, is to finish something. Make this the year that you finish a creative project, not just start them, but finish at least one. I know it can be hard. Sometimes you just don't know when something's finished and you want to keep tinkering and editing and changing it, but you do have to reach a point where it's done or at least done for now. If you've been working on a draft of a novel or a story or a script or a short story, you know, work away at it until you reach the end. I know so many people with a hundred different beginnings of novels in their drawer, but that's not much use because you need a full novel in order to get it published. So when you reach the end, you know, write the end. Actually write it. It'll make you feel so proud, especially if you've never managed to complete a story. I really think that finishing a project is the most important thing you can do for your creativity and honestly for your self-esteem and for self-fulfillment. So if you're always writing beginnings and never writing the endings, then you literally will never learn how to write an ending. Yeah. You might be great at beginnings, but you need to go through the whole journey. It doesn't have to be perfect, right? Finishing a story doesn't mean that it's done and you can immediately send it off to a publisher. (laughs) It means finishing that first draft, getting it all down so that you then have something to work with. Another goal in this article, which I think, you know, the in the post, the blog post on the Writer Centre blog, which I think is really important, is to make time for your writing. Yes, you can absolutely fit writing into snatches of time, you know, while standing in a queue or while waiting for your kids. And I highly encourage you to do that too. And you can get some great work done then. And sometimes life is such that they're the only bits of time, windows of time that you got. But if you can, particularly at this time of year where, or if you're in lockdown like me, if you want to really kickstart your writing, set yourself a writing date, you know, every week, once a week even, or, or twice a week, whatever, at the same time. You figure it out. You can dedicate half, just half an hour if that's all you've got, or you can dedicate three hours. It depends on your life and your lifestyle, um, but make it a dedicated time. So maybe you'll only write 50 words, but at least you sat down and you wrote the 50 words. And next time you do it, you might write 500 words. Everything adds up. So to have a look at all of the goals and for lots more writing tips and advice on the world of writing, uh, go do check out the Australian Writers' Centre blog at writerscentre.com.au slash blog. Now, even though it's summer, we still have our giveaway. So our competition 
this week is really cool. I have three copies of the book, What's It Like to Be Chased by a Cassowary (laughs) by Felicity Lewis. This is, I just really love this book. Um, Okay, (laughs) to give you an idea of what it's about, Catnip for the Curious, this anthology is an engaging and lively curation of authoritative and original voices from the nation's most trusted news outlets. Ever wondered what happens to us as we die, or how the Esky became an Aussie cultural icon, or why we have leap years? Then look no further, and even if you haven't wondered, you'll want to find out. This anthology is a diverse collection of explainers by some of the finest writers from The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. It tackles quintessentially Australian topics like where does the term mate come from, as well as questions being grappled with around the world like what will our homes be powered by in the future? Within these pages, you'll find an absorbing and illuminating selection of some of the most popular explainers, as well as never-before-published pieces, especially written for the book. There are surprising facts about all aspects of life and information about all kinds of investigations from throughout history and around the world. Now, I love the concept of explainers. It's something that, you know, probably didn't, well, exist. Well, it existed, but it wasn't termed explainer 20 years ago or 15 15 years ago. But now explainers are everywhere. Um, in newspapers so that if a particular topic has gone on for a couple of weeks already, um, there's a, there's a, there's a su- succinct summary and explainer of the background of the topic or if it's a complex um, uh, concept that people are trying to understand, there's an explainer for it. And there's actually an explainer editor in Felicity Lewis is the explainer editor at Fairfax. So this book What's it like to be chased by a cassowary? We have three copies to give away. Just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 11th of January. And uh, if you are at that URL in the future, don't worry, there'll be some other great competition for you to enter. So that's writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now, I don't have... Al to ask this question to. So I'm going to ask you, everyone, are you ready for the word of the week? I hope the answer is yes, because (laughs) the word of the week this week is allurophile. Allurophile. A-I-L-U-R-O-P-H-I-L-E. Allurophile. Sounds very alluring, doesn't it? And in a way it is, because an allurophile is someone who loves cats. So I'm definitely an allurophile. And in fact, I might have that to be my profile. Maybe, you know, writer, artist, allurophile. Well, maybe not. It's definitely an important part of who I am. And if you manage to use the word allurophile during the week, let me know. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course, with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Penelope Janu has had several novels published by HarperCollins, including In at the Deep End, On the Right Track and Up on Horseshoe Hill. Here's what she says. 
Well, now I'm a writer. I was a lawyer for many years before that. I had a long um, career as a solicitor, first of all, and then I worked in academia at a university teaching law uh, for almost 20 years. But now, um, since the publication of my book, um, and I've written another one and another one after that, um, I'm pretty much a full-time writer. Well, I suppose my first real introduction to writing was at the Australian Writers' Centre. Uh, my daughter, who's a children's author, she sent me a link and she said, Mum, this might be good for you because she knew I'd been talking about writing, I'd been thinking about studying. So I enrolled in the course um, and that very much was a stepping stone for me. I'd never written creatively. I'd written a lot as an academic, uh, but not creatively. And I was very nervous, uh, but Lisa was, was really encouraging and there were so many others around me. So I guess it gave me the courage to think, gee, you know, this is something Thing that I can do. It was very exciting. I've been writing very hard for a, a couple of years. I actually pitched the novel to Harlequin Mira at the um, Romance Writers of Australia conference. She loved it and she wanted to take it to acquisitions and so within a week, yeah, I knew that there was a likelihood that, that Harlequin Mira would support the novel and would publish it and then it was a very busy year doing all the editing and so on with it. Um, the best thing about the course that I've done is really it gave me the confidence to have faith in my own voice, that my own voice is something that's unique to me. The knowledge of that means that you, you might also think as an early career author is that you have something to say that other people might want to hear because you have that unique voice. I started a bit later and there can be a benefit in that. So if you're somebody who has already had a career or brought up your family, um, don't be afraid to start. And so doing a course will certainly give you that confidence. It can certainly assist you in that. And if you need longer term support, then obviously there are other, other courses. So your writing community can become your tribe in many ways and you will find people within that community that are supportive, that are encouraging. And they're the people that you need to connect with in order to, um, to grow and to, um, to succeed, I guess, as a writer. If you'd like to find out more, go to writercentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. This week we have the best-selling author Jennifer Niven. Jennifer has published more than 10 books for adults and young adults, including the very popular All the Bright Places and Holding Up the Universe. As well as winning numerous awards and being translated into a whopping 75 languages, All the Bright Places has now been adapted into a film starring Elle Fanning and it's available to watch on Netflix. Jennifer's latest book is the young adult novel Breathless, out now with Penguin Books Australia. Let's have a listen to Jennifer. I am so excited to have Jennifer Niven on the call now. Congratulations on your latest book, Breathless. Now, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but let's just start with if, if there are some listeners who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, uh, can you tell us what it's about? Absolutely. Thank you for having me, by the way. Um, Breathless is a very personal story. It's actually pretty much just as personal as All the Bright Places was, um, in a different way. When I was 18, my parents told me that they were separating and I felt like my entire world had just turned upside down and it changed in an instant and the floor disappeared from beneath my feet. And this is what Breathless, this is actually the you know inspiration behind Breathless. Claude Henry is 18. Her parents tell her that they're separating 
It feels like the world has changed in that instant. The floor has disappeared from beneath her feet. She is taken away uh, with her mom. They leave right after high school graduation, and she finds herself on this remote island off the coast of Georgia where she knows no one. She has no cell service. She is isolated and feels completely cut off from her old life, her friends, her father, everything she knows. And she meets a boy named Jeremiah Crew. And it's a story really about first and last and about beginnings and about um, Claude really finds out in that summer where she begins. Now, how did the idea for this book form? What was the seed that was planted that made you think, I want to write this story? I think that I was, you know, I'd always kind of thought about that summer because it was really pivotal and profound for me when I was 18, Claude's age. And I kept thinking about it because with all the bright places, I wrote a very personal story about a boy that I loved and lost. Mm -hmm. And I, it feels very natural now because of that to write what I know. And I also like writing things that I think teens can identify with and relate to in the sense that, you know, this has been a year in particular where all of us have felt to some degree like our world has changed in an instant with COVID. And um, I just felt like I felt like at any age you can relate to that. And also you can relate to, you know, having to begin again and start over and rebuild the floor beneath your feet when it's been yanked out from underneath you. Mm. Now, I'd just like to give listeners some context because you have a fascinating career history. Can you just give listeners uh, just a brief potted history of your career to date so we yes, can know I- what happened until we got to this point? I actually started my career in nonfiction. I started with a nonfiction account of an Arctic expedition from 1913. And from there moved to another nonfiction Arctic expedition story. And then from there, I wrote four novels for adults, four historical novels. I've written a memoir about my high school years growing up in Indiana and um, All the Bright Places in 2015 was my first young adult book. Mm. And since then, I've written three young adult books, Counting Breathless and Holding Up the Universe. So it's so many different genres, but even yeah. take us back to it, when you were at college or at school, did you want to be a writer at that point? When did you know you wanted to be a writer? I think I knew when I was a little girl, actually, because my mother was also a writer and we had writing time in my childhood routine ever since I was able to hold a crayon and form words. I was wanting to write. And before that, I was telling stories um, verbally before I could actually put pen to paper. So she knew that I had that in my genes and uh, encouraged that because it's the thing I always love doing most. So I think I knew it from a very early age. Mm. So you have some very clear chapters. You've, there's the nonfiction chapter, then there's the <laughs> historical novels chapter, and then there's the young adults chapter. So did you always plan to try out different genres or were you experimenting experimenting to see what fit and would you go back to like those other two? I would definitely go back if I found, you know, a story that compelled me and 
you know, grabbed my attention in nonfiction or adult fiction, I would definitely go back. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that for me, I just followed the story. I just followed the stories that came to me in that moment. And I wrote them the way I felt they needed to be written. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was nonfiction or, a, you know, historical fiction for adults or young adult, I just wrote it, you know, the way that I felt that story needed to be written. But for me, it's, I feel like I'm a writer first and foremost. And, you know, these stories are, the, the right stories present themselves at the right time in your life. Mm. I fully believe that. And sometimes they want to be written as a screenplay, or they want to be written as young adult or adult fiction or whatever. And and I like to keep myself open to all of that. So what was the turning point or what was the story that led you into the world of YA? So the turning point for me was when uh, to see the spring of 2013, I was finishing the last in a series of adult historical novels. My mm. agent of 15 years died very suddenly and unexpectedly. And he was the agency. He was the only one in the agency. So I was having to interview new agents as I was mourning my dear friend, mentor, agent. And the last time I had seen him, he said, I want you to write the next story I want you to write, I want you to write it even if it terrifies you. Mm. And I kept thinking about that. And I knew what that was. It was the story of a boy I loved and lost to suicide years ago. Mm. And I'd always wanted to write something about him, about knowing him, about us and our relationship. But I had not had the courage and it had not been the right time. But I decided to sit down and try to write it in the you know spring of summer of 2013, just to honor what my agent and friend had said to me. And it came out very quickly. I wrote it, I think, in about six weeks. Wow. (laughs) 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 Okay. Well, obviously, you went down the right path, because apart from winning awards and, you know, being long-listed and shortlisted for awards, um, it became a film starring Elle Fanning, Luke Wilson. I mean, Tell us about how that eventuated. Like, how does it suddenly go from, oh, I wrote this book in six weeks to these major stars wanting to to be in the film about it? It's it's so interesting. I mean, you know, first of all, when I'm writing something, I tend to cast my characters. (laughs) And so I had actually, no one knew this at the time, I had actually pictured Elle as I was writing no, because Violet was so personal to me. And I I couldn't picture me because it got in the way I needed Mm -hmm. to be able to infuse this character with all of my emotions and my feelings, but and my experiences, but I needed to have some distance as well. And so I cast L in my mind. And then um, six months before the book was released, Elle was attached to the project and I got to tell her that in person, oh which was God. the most amazing thing. Oh, but, <laughs> it was, but what about the point of finding out, let alone telling her, did you kind of I'm, go, Oh my God, that was just too freaky for words. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was just, it was, 
so lovely the way it all came together. And I was just, you know, you don't, or at least I didn't write all the right places thinking someday it will be a film. And, you know, I obviously it was a lovely, lovely thing that happened, but it was totally unexpected. Oh my God, the power of visualization. In fact, I just interviewed <laughs> an author who, um, who wrote a memoir and she, uh, and Nicole Kidman played her in the movie. And she said oh she gosh. always knew that Nicole P- would, K- Kidman would play her, which is, you Seriously? know, so, oh, hey, <laughs> the power of visualization. <laughs> um, <It> okay. <laughs> so you go down this, the story that you really had to tell. And Mm -hmm. it obviously went very successfully. Did you, um, while you were writing All the Bright Places, did you know that you were going to continue with YA, with Young Adult? I did. I think, you know, I wrote All the Bright Places and then I wrote Holding Up the Universe. And I remember I was at an event and I was on a panel and it was a mental health and YA panel. And um, I, I had been thinking kind of like around that time, oh gosh, wouldn't it be easier if I wrote something that was really sweet and fluffy and that no one could find objection with. And cause I had a lot of adults when all the bright places first came out saying that they didn't want teens reading this because they didn't want them, you know, mm. discovering, um, mental health issues, suicide, mm-hmm. all the things that teens are touched by and going through. And, um, and so I was thinking, oh gosh, I, I think the next book should just be really safe and really sweet. And then we did a Q and a at the end of the panel and this young man got up and there was like a room of like 500 people. And he went to the mic and he said, I just want to ask Jennifer if she will keep writing books for people like me who feel like we don't have a voice. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And I thought, I can't not do that. I have to keep doing that. Mm. Okay. So we have a point of comparison in that All the Bright Places was six weeks. Let's come to Breathless now. And can you just give us a little bit idea, some timeframes of the gestation period of this book? Like when you first started thinking about it, how long you were thinking about it before you put pen to paper, and then how long was first draft? It was, you know, there was a very different process because I was still touring for All the Bright Places and Holding Up the Universe when I started working on Breathless. And I had in my mind the characters, and I I always do a lot of work on the characters first and foremost um, and the story. So I do, do a lot of work on the front end so that once I start writing, I write very quickly because I know a lot of, you know, I just know the characters inside out. So I had started doing that, but I hadn't actually put pen to paper um, in the sense that I hadn't actually started like, you know, chapter one. And so it was probably a period of about two years, maybe two and a half oh. years, because it was very sporadic when I would get time to work on Breathless. And mm. thankfully, it took the time it did because I finally was like, I have to shut everything out. I'm going to go to the island where I set this book and I'm going to immerse myself in the writing and get started. And that's where I met my husband, my now husband and (laughs) all of the, all of the adventures that Claude and Jeremiah have in Breathless are adventures that my husband, Justin and I had when we were falling in love on that island. So it was really lovely to get to do that. Yeah. So it was personal in that way too. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So it was sporadic because you were 
juggling a bunch of things. But when yes. you had those periods where you could write, mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm interested in like your writing routine or your day, mm-hmm. you know. Did you have some kind of routine th- through the day so that you had that discipline to get the words on the page? Absolutely. I mean, the thing I think that um, – you know, that I always tell young writers is you have to show up to do the work and you have to, even if you feel like you're doing nothing and you're just sitting there, at least you're sitting there and you're, you know, you are writing, even if you don't actually have your hands on the keyboard or on the paper. And I, uh, I, you know, get up and I try to exercise if I can, or get right to work to on what is going on in my day. And, I, you know, am at my desk usually for 10 or 12 hours. Um, wow. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, it depends on what's happening. Sometimes eight. The creative work is unfortunately the, you know, not, I don't get to do that all the time. It's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of emails and there are a lot of like um, sure. other things that I'm doing for the business of writing. But uh, I have to, I try to really make sure to carve out creative time for me, not only for deadlines I have, but just for me, because if I don't get to do the writing, the actual writing, I get very cranky. Mm. So it's very important. So I, I really am at my desk for a long time, though. Wow. Okay. So did uh, Breathless have a deadline? It did have a deadline. Um, okay. You know, luckily, uh, Random House certainly understood because I was touring so much um, right. and around around the world. So, you know, the they're they're just so wonderful to work with, and they're like my my family now. And so we did have a deadline, and um, and I was able to meet that. I have to. Uh, one of the things too that I, if if you're not just um, blessed with like endless time to immerse yourself in your writing, one of the things my mother as I said, was a writer used to say was you have the patchwork quilt method of writing, which is you have a little bit of time here, a little bit of time there. And eventually you can piece all of that together. All of these little bits of time, you can piece them together into one beautiful piece of work. Mm, So mm. I had to do, I had to do that a lot. All the Bright Places was written kind of in an immersion sort of way, which is ideal, Mm. but does not always happen. Whereas this one was really done in, you know, fits and starts. So I'd love to talk about the comparison, the the feeling that you have when you're writing, when you're writing narrative nonfiction, which which I also love, um, mm. because you have to be so accurate and mm-hmm. you are obviously constrained by reality and facts <laughs> right. versus the freedom of, um, <laughs> you know, writing your, all these characters in your from your imagination. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how it feels, it, the difference to how it feels of um, writing those two types of things? It's you know it's interesting because when I'm writing narrative nonfiction, as you say, like every everything has to be factual, and you mm-hmm. can't take liberties because if you're calling it nonfiction, it has to be nonfiction, mm-hmm. um, meaning not fiction. You're not making it up. And, and, you know, but I also want it to read like a novel or read, you know, easily. So it doesn't feel like you're just reading a history book filled with facts. And so I want the characters to come alive. And, um, so it's, it's a very, you know, 
it has to, for me, like if I, as I said, if I'm going to say it's nonfiction, it absolutely is going to be. So I'm not going to, you know, make up things or dialogue or people or put myself in there in any way. Uh, whereas, you know, with fiction, you can, you do have, you can make up everything. You make up the world, you make up the characters, you make up the story. And sometimes that can be very daunting because you know, it all rests on you. Whereas with nonfiction, there's a lot of research and there's a lot of responsibility in that way, but the story is there and it's, you know, finding your way into the story and the angle that you're going to take, but you have all the facts and the people are already there and they're real. And, um, so, you know, in some ways I think fiction can be a bit more for me, like a bit more overwhelming because there's always a moment when I think, Oh my gosh, each book is a fluke. I don't know how I did it. I'll never get to write another one because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I think most writers feel that way at some point. <laughs> so you also wrote historical novels. Now, obviously, there was there would have been quite an element of research and accuracy yeah. in those things as well. How do you, whether it's the nonfiction stuff or the historical novels, how do you approach your research? Is it something that you do before you start writing or as you go along? It's definitely, I try to do the bulk of it before I start writing. Um, you know, and the same is true, I would say, also for All the Bright Places, which deals with very heavy issues like mm. uh, mental health and suicide, withholding up the universe, dealing with bullying and prosopagnosia, which was also known as face blindness, which one of the characters has. Mm. And then Breathless, just dealing with first times with like um, set, making it a sex positive book. Um, mm. And I really wanted to do my due diligence, whether I'm writing nonfiction, historical fiction, or young adult, because I do feel a great responsibility. And I try, as I say, to do most of the research at the beginning. And that way, I know I kind of go into the story armed with all this knowledge. But mm. there are things that pop up along the way that I will definitely do research as I'm going on some things. So um, and I, I love that. I actually love researching. I always kind of wanted to be a detective. So it feels a <laughs> bit like that. <laughs> uh, somehow, maybe I think that the next genre is going to be mysteries. <laughs> no. It very well could be. Who knows? <laughs> oh, is that a hint? Possibly. I don't oh, know. <laughs> right. Well, see, Valerie. Ah, <laughs> uh -huh. interesting. <laughs> okay. So, are you current? I, I'll ask you a different question then. Are you currently okay. writing your next book? <laughs> I am. Actually, I'm doing a couple of things. I am writing the screenplay for Holding Up the Universe, which has mm. been optioned for a film. And I am also. Um, I just finished a collaboration with another author and it's a YA novel. I can't quite say who, but we're mm -hmm. so excited about it. And um, that one should be out probably next year. And then I've just started to work on my next solo YA novel. So I have okay. a few things going on. So have you cast, you're, you're writing the screenplay <laughs> for Holding at the Universe. Um, yes. Have you cast that in your head? 
Because, hey, let's do I, some visualization now and get, you know. Oh, exactly, exactly. You know what? I love Amanda LeCount, the dancer. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's just absolutely phenomenal. And she has this beautiful energy and she's such a great dancer and, and she just makes me smile. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of think about her with for Libby and she has that kind of wonderful, fierce, positive attitude For Jack, I don't know, but I'm definitely taking suggestions. Um, (laughs) And then also, like, it's funny because most of the – because the other books that uh, I've just worked on or am working on, I definitely have cast those as well, of course. So (laughs) I felt, you know, it worked so well with Elle Fanning. Why not do that again? (laughs) Yeah, why not? Can you tell us about the process of taking a novel, which is a very specific form with, um, you know, and, and the, the way it's told and, and then writing a screenplay, which has mm. actually so many more restrictions and parameters in a sense. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's like, it was so interesting doing all the right places because there's less, um, there's less real estate on the screen than there is on the page. So in, mm. you know, inevitably you have to cut a lot of your favorite scenes, readers' favorite scenes, um, because there's just not enough room. And so that was the first thing I had to learn that was very, very difficult. And of course, I thought we should do a 15-hour movie, but I was the only one who believed in that. (laughs) No one else supported me in that. So that was very sad. But it is, um, it's an interesting process. It really is. And I think it's just, um, it's hard to kind of kill those darlings, as they say, and decide what belongs and what doesn't belong. But ideally for us, what we wanted to do with the film is just capture the heart of the book and the story and the feeling of reading the book. We wanted you to feel that way when you watch the film. And mm. also it's a collaboration. And that's something that's, you know, you're used to writing a book by yourself until you hand it over to your editor. But this is a collaboration from day one, the screenplay yeah. is, is, which is really fascinating. So let's just go back to, because it was your friend and mentor who said, um, I want you to write something that terrifies you. And then you wrote all the bright places. So is it correct to say that you wrote that without a, a promise of publication? You just wrote yes. it as an exercise, really? I did. I wrote it without knowing if it would be published or not, but I needed a new idea to tell the agents I was talking to as I was interviewing them. Mm. And I wanted to tell them what I was working on next. I mean, I had a a body of work that I could show them, but they all wanted to know what the new idea was. And so I thought, okay, well, let me work on this first. And then I will tell them if it works out, if it doesn't work out, no one will know I ever tried to write this. And, um, and it, it worked. And I was, you know, I, I just, even as I shared it with agents, I did not know if, it would be anything anyone would want to read because it was so personal to me and it was really hard to have that kind of objectivity about it. And did any agents kind of go, uh, you've been writing narrative nonfiction, <laughs> historical <laughs> oh. novels? Yes. <laughs> you know? There was, there was actually it was very like, it was interesting. It was really crushing. There was um, an agent who uh, a friend of mine who was my first editor on my first two books 
and he's in the business and he's absolutely lovely and wonderful. And we've remained friends. And he said, let me recommend you to a friend of mine who represents young adults, you know, and I think that you had hit it off. Well, um, this person did not even want to talk to me because as he said, you, you know, she has written in all these different genres. That is career suicide. I would never represent someone like that. And I was so demoralized. I mean, first of all, I was still mourning my agent. I was like feeling very lost. The floor, uh, you know, had been ripped out from under me and my world had changed in that instant. And I was trying to put the pieces back together. And that to me at that moment was such a blow. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've just ruined my chances of ever getting another agent. My career is over. I must, I'll have to stop writing. And I remember my mom said, that's one person. That is one person's opinion. And you do not ever need to question the choices you made or the things that you've written because you wrote them for a reason. Yes. And, And she was right. Wow. I bet they're kicking themselves now. But anyway, <laughs> um, what age would you describe uh, as the, you know, ideal reader for, for your books, your I YA books? For my YA books, you know, older teens, I think um, probably 14 and up. Uh, I have a lot of adult readers for them as well. And, you know, I do occasionally hear from a 12-year-old or 13-year-old who's read the books. And I think that really, it just all depends on the reader. Mm. Um, you know, and sometimes I'll, I'll have questions from parents who want to know what I think. And I, I just always tell them, you know, you know, your child far better than I do. And so Mm. you need to make that judgment call based on whatever information I can give you, but you need to be the one to make that decision. Mm. How do you, um, make your decisions in terms of when you are writing about sex, um, and what to include or how far to go in a sense? I think it's, you know, it's, it is, um, a sensitive thing when you're writing for teens and it's something again with like mental health and suicide, Mm -hmm. I take, I feel a great sense of responsibility, but I also, I think with all of those subjects, I just feel like the more honest you are, the better, because I feel that young adults are the most discerning, the smartest audience in terms of readership. I just feel like, you know, you can't talk down to them. They're so smart and they'll know if you're talking down to them and you owe it to them. We owe it to them to be honest. And so that's what I told myself as I was writing, you know, in Breathless, writing the sex positivity and writing sex Mm -hmm. scenes or, um, I, I wanted it to be an empowering story. I wanted Claude, the heroine of the story, I wanted her to be empowered because her world does change in that instant and she feels like she has no floor. I wanted her to rebuild that floor, to build a new floor. And part of doing that, one of the first things she does is make the decision to have sex for the first time. But it's a decision she makes and she makes it for the right reasons mm-hmm. and she owns that decision and it's it ends up being a very empowering decision for her mm-hmm. and I wanted to be able to show that in a very positive light. Now you obviously I assume you have very strong connection with your memories of being a teenager yourself and you've written you know a memoir about kind of like that time in your life um, so obviously that's very useful but <laughs> how do you get 
into when you're writing your YA, how do you know you're really getting into the mind of um, someone of that age? Or are you very much relying on what your feelings were at the time yourself? I think it's a combination. I think that I can definitely channel those feelings in an instant. It does not take me long to go back really? in my mind and in my heart and feel I can still think of cringeworthy <sighs> moments and swoony moments and all of those and like feel them. And I wow. so I think that that really helps. And then I feel like you also it's just I always think it's like writing like it's as if you're playing a song on the piano and if you hit a bad note, you feel it, you hear it. It's mm. the same with writing. If it feels, it doesn't feel organic. If it feels forced, if it feels like it's too adult sounding or, you know, whatever it is, you hear the, you hear the bad note and you feel that and you change it. And then the other thing I do is I have these wonderful young readers who I will mm. give, um, like early versions of my books too, so that they can read them before I even send them to my editor, just so, you know, I can make sure that like with the language, like the sex mm. conversations that my characters have in Breathless, I wanted to make sure they sounded as like current and, um, you know, just as, as current as they can be. And I wanted to make sure that it, they sound authentic. And so I shared them with these young readers and that was very helpful too. When you're writing your manuscripts, do you already know what's going to happen? Have you already planned it out or do you just see how it unfolds yourself? It's kind of a, again, a combination. I think, you know, I, I like to think of, certainly when you're doing fiction, nonfiction has to be very planned out. But when you're doing fiction, I have to know my characters completely and then I think of the story as kind of a road trip. It's, it's the equivalent of going on a road trip. So I know where I'm starting. I almost always know where I'm ending. And then I know the general arc of the story and the beats I want to hit. So I know the general route that I'm taking. But there's so many, you know, detours that happen small and large along the way. And I, you have to leave yourself open to those. And I think that's some of the joy and the fun of writing because you don't know what's going to happen sometimes. And sometimes mm. the characters will take you off in directions you didn't expect, which can mm. be really wonderful. You have, you're in this great position now where, you know, your books are just really successful. Obviously they're being turned into movies as well. So in a sense, you have um, a little bit more freedom than other authors to say, you know what, I'd really like to do X, as opposed to have to, you know, um, just, just kind of take what comes or, or do whatever it is that their publisher says. Right. What's your grandmaster plan for the next 10 mm. years? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I love this question. <laughs> I First of all, I feel so fortunate to be able to be in that position. It's just I feel incredibly grateful. And I couldn't do that without readers because my readers are everything and they support me in so many ways. And um, I, you know, I would love to just, there's so many projects I want to do and they're, you know, um, different collaborations with different authors. They are solo, you know, YA novels that are in 
different genres and that would really push me to as a writer, which I love to do. And I want to adapt every single one of my books, you know, on the screen and I want to be the one to write it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a big goal. <laughs> that's yeah, a big goal. I would love to. I would well, love hey, to work, you've won an Emmy TV. already. So, right. <laughs> you know. Why not? I mean, yeah. I'd love to also work in television because I love television. So that would be, I mean, pretty much everything, Valerie. It's like the sky's the limit. You know, my mom <laughs> taught me when I was little, she said, just never limit yourself or your imagination. So I've tried to honor that. Wonderful. All right. So let's uh, finish on um, what would your top three tips be for uh, writers who, uh, for aspiring writers who would love to be in a position where you are one day? I would say write and read, just read everything and write. It sounds very trite, but just show up and do the writing. Don't pressure yourself or put so much, you know, expectation on yourself to write something perfect because I know a lot of writers who get kind of paralyzed because they're so afraid they won't write something perfect. And the thing is, there is no such thing. And you can go back and you can edit. So just write, write, write. Mm. I also say write the story you want to read because that will keep you invested heart and soul and mind in the story you're writing. Mm. And lastly, I would say you are the only you there is in the entire world, which is really extraordinary. Mm. And that means that only you can write the story that you can write. So don't ever compare yourself to others. Perfect. On that note, thank you so much for your time today. Congratulations on Breathless and um, really appreciate you taking the time. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. There we go. Jennifer Niven, I hope you enjoyed listening to that chat. I always learn so much from our authors. Thanks for joining me this week and I hope you enjoyed this episode of So You Want to Be a Writer. If you want to connect with other listeners, just search for our Facebook group. Um, If you go onto Facebook, just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. It's a really supportive community of emerging writers as well as established authors and writers. It's free to join and we'd love to see you in there and Alison and I are in there all the time. I'll be back again later this week with a Story Sessions episode, Inheritance of Secrets by Sonia Bates. In our Story Sessions episodes, if you haven't caught up with them yet, you get to hear the opening chapter of a novel, either read by me or the author or somebody else fabulous. It's the perfect way to taste test or sound test a novel. You can find it wherever you download this podcast. So that's all for me. You can also find me on social media at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, and at my website, ValerieKoo.com. But you can find all of the show notes and more information about our writing courses at writercenter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.